Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You know, I'm not going to answer all these questions today. I think I've addressed it already. Uh, I can't remember a lot of the things that transpired 10 or 12 years ago, but... Um, I stand here uh, in front of everybody apologizing. I know I'm not, uh, I don't have an ounce of, of racism in me. I'm a, a guy that takes pride in leading people together. And I'll continue to do that for the rest of my life. And again, I apologize to D. Smith and anybody out there that, that I have offended. As it turns out, that is the last we will ever hear from John Gruden in his capacity as a head coach of the Raiders or any other team in the National Football League. Based upon what happened on Monday, there's no coming back from it. And Gruden late last night resigned his post as the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. It's PFT Live, Chris Sims, Mike Florio. We will spend plenty of time talking about last night's game, a wild comeback for the ages by the Baltimore Ravens against the Indianapolis Colts. One of the craziest Monday nights I can ever remember when you take a very compelling, entertaining game that went to overtime and you throw on top of it the abrupt resignation of an NFL head coach who has won a Super Bowl and who was a prominent member of the Monday Night Football broadcast team for years. I'm, I'm having a hard time finding a similar experience to last night, Chris. No, definitely not. You know, I mean, the game was great. You're right about that. It was a lot of fun to watch. Both halves goes into overtime, a lot of drama. Uh, but yeah, I think the drama that we saw there, what was that right before halftime with the, the report and Adam Schefter and, and, and everything there that was, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I felt like we were going well, this way. I just didn't know it was going to happen right then, I guess. And it was just, a, yeah, it added to a, a crazy night of football and a, and a crazy night in the NFL uh, altogether. Here, here's what happened. Here's how it unfolded in real time yesterday shefty during monday night countdown danced around the vague idea that more was coming that the nfl had sent more emails on monday to the raiders and that made a light bulb go off for me and i'll explain that in a second 
Shefty didn't get into any of the details. Shefty's comment, standing alone, did nothing. What happened was, at the same time, the New York Times was buttoning up the latest story with contents of emails that were deliberately and selectively leaked by the league to the New York Times. Just like the one page from 650,000 plus emails generated in the Washington football team investigation that was leaked to the Wall Street Journal last week, somebody leaked more to the New York Times on Monday. Somebody wanted this stuff to be out. And this is not a defense of John Gruden by any stretch of the imagination. No. This is just our effort right. to peel back the curtain and show you how the sausage gets made when someone wants to make sausage. And someone had a recipe that they were putting together that consisted of continuing to leak these emails until John Gruden resigned or Mark Davis fired him. And that's the light bulb I was talking about, Chris. Well, yeah, that's right. The way, I, yeah, go ahead. They, they go wanted, ahead. Somebody wanted him out. Yes, I agree. And they I'm were glad we're starting there. Re- yeah. They were going to keep releasing right. the emails right. until he walked away or they made him run. Now, it's not a defense of Gruden. No. He got what he deserved. No. Galactically stupid he was. Exactly. For reducing these thoughts to writing or even having these thoughts. It's one thing to have the thoughts and and they and, or have, you know, private get-togethers where everybody says all of these raunchy, over-the-top things, and they try to outdo each other. This is reducing them to writing at a time when... On an NFL email. People should know, these things don't just disappear. Right. The, 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 The entire... This entire structure is built to preserve things, not delete things. So... Anyway, we're not defending him. It was dumb. No, it was stupid. Yeah. And the outcome was deserved. But there's a parallel story here that I think people are starting to wake up to. Well, the, okay. That yeah. s- somebody wanted him gone. Right. And right. they weren't going to stop until he was gone. And he gave them the ammunition to, to get to that point. Yeah, 100%. Mike, I'm glad you're starting there, too. Because, I mean, we'll dive into all the specifics and, you know, how distasteful and wrong all of it was. But, like, that, that to me is, like, the thing I, I'm, I'm not going to lie you know, of course, we've had a few days to digest this whole John Gruden email thing. And, you know, it broke it broke during the weekend. So we heard about all this. I've been thinking about that. But I, I do think that, like, what you're bringing up to me is probably the thing I'm most curious about. And I think what it, most, most people, like, really following the NFL or in the NFL are most curious about. Like, what else is there? Why? What, why is it yeah. that out of all these all these emails and everything that it's been John Gruden? What's what's the bigger play here? What what is it that has singled him out? You know, fair or unfair? You know, which it does from this aspect seem a little unfair. And again, I'm not defending him either. I'm just no, trying to no, say look. it's very weird uh, that it just seemed like there was a mission to make sure that he yes. was no longer in the NFL. Yes. And yes. W- is there something else he's done that's worse than this that they know of? Is there you know is there something else he said that even offended a, a, another power player in the NFL that we're not aware of? And that's where I think a lot of people, that's the, the main text messages I got from people all around the NFL last night, Mike, was like, what else is going on? There has to be something else here. Why is this you know, such an effort to get him out, you know, and nobody's defending him or anything like that. It's just about, it seems curious and the way you laid it out, I think is perfectly. And it's certainly the number one thing on my mind as we sit here and talk this morning. He ultimately got what he deserved. Right. But the question is who else out there deserves the same 
fate, and why are those people being protected, yeah. and should they be? Right. And let's just start, because look, it, it would be very easy to spend 10 minutes getting you up to speed on stuff you already know. If you're watching this show, you know he resigned last night, you know he issued a statement, you know he met with Mark Davis, and look, this happens all the time. People resign in lieu of being fired. I don't think it's irresponsible to speculate that this statement from John Gruden was the product of a meeting with Mark Davis, during which Davis said to him, we got two choices here. You either resign or I have to fire you. I've got no choice because, John, they're going to keep releasing this stuff until I either fire you or you walk away. And he ended up walking away and the resignation was accepted. There may be some financial things that happen behind the scenes that relate to how much of his salary he's going to get. That's irrelevant and immaterial for now. It's important for Gruden. It's important for the Raiders, but it's immaterial for now. The other question is this. Of all the information that the NFL uncovered in an investigation that was conducted by Beth Wilkinson, who was initially hired by Washington owner Dan Snyder, the investigation was then taken over by the NFL when... I believe the information came out, the allegations, the reports about the video that was cut from the outtakes of the cheerleader shoot and allegedly prepared for Snyder and other executives. That's when the NFL said, you know what, we're going to we're going to take this over. And it continued. And I remember that and they, they timed it perfectly, Chris. It was the all time perfectly timed bad news dump. Yeah, it was the Thursday late afternoon heading into 4th of July weekend. And when 4th of July ends on a Sunday, nobody works Friday, nobody works Monday. By the time Tuesday came around, nobody was talking about it. But how in the hell do you have this investigation when we've seen full transparency with investigations that happened with air and footballs, that happened with the bullying situation in Miami back in 2013? Full and complete transparency. Reports in excess of 100 pages produced for the world to examine and explore and understand. There was nothing, not a thing. And look, lawyers don't get hired to not produce written reports of their investigations. There was no written report. It wasn't requested. It was all done verbally. What in the hell is that? And I was the only one shouting from the rooftops, this is wrong. This is unfair. They're covering up for Dan Snyder and anyone else with the organization who did something they shouldn't have done. And now, months after the fact... They are handpicking emails that were sent by somebody who wasn't even working for the team or any other team at the time. More on that if I remember later. But at the time, from the emails we've seen so far, these are all John Gruden broadcaster, not John Gruden coach of the Raiders or coach of the Bucks or coach of Washington or employee of the league. This is John Gruden broadcaster. So they've opened the door here, Chris, and I think it's time to release everything because there's plenty of speculation. And I want to be clear, this is speculation because I don't need to be getting sued by Dan Snyder. Yeah. But there are people who look at this and say, wait a minute. Yeah. Go if ahead. these are the kinds of emails that John Gruden was sending to Bruce Allen, what kind of emails was Dan Snyder yeah. sending to Bruce Allen over all those years right. that have been buried in a nuclear sarcophagus 300 feet underground? It's time for those to come out at a minimum. I say it's time for every, let's see everything. You can't just release 10 pages and run away. You have lit the fuse, and you have to own up to the bomb that went off for John Gruden by showing us 
all the other bombs that are out there. You can't just do it for one guy. You got to do it for everybody. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. It just it doesn't seem fair from that aspect. And it's not about like fair. It's just about right or wrong at this point. And you can't just say, hey, this guy's wrong. This guy's wrong. We're going to accuse him. And then, of course, you know, not delve into everybody else's And he emails. deserves it. We're not defending yeah, him. Yeah, well, of course not. He deserves not. what he got. Of course got. not. But I who know. else did stuff that they deserve consequences for, too, that their behavior needs to be exposed? We can't just have a tiny little Yeah, all the truth has to come out. If we're going to just Let's put a little dash of truth. Let's see the truth. Agreed. We can handle the truth. Yeah. Let's give us the truth. No, I, I mean, it, 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 that's where, you know, you go back to this, like, what is the bigger play here? I, I just don't get it. I really don't. You know, was this something like, I, I mean, uh, listen. It, Chris, very simple. It started, and here's the yeah. prevailing thought in league circles. Right. The one page that was released on Friday was a favor to DeMora Smith to help him secure the votes necessary to stay on the job because it all came out. The plane was landed perfectly. The document came out just two hours before the NFL Players Association Board of Player Representatives convened to vote on whether or not D. Smith's job would be declared open. And he would have been basically in a position where he had to reapply with anyone else who they were going to consider for the job in March of 2022. And the, the theory is it started as an effort to save him. Why would they want to save him? They don't want a new executive director, and now he's beholden to them. That would be the... High-level corporate espionage sure. I see that. mindset. Right, that he owes them now. Right, that's how it started. Right, but then once it started, once it started, and they started finding other stuff. And I think what happened was how this all came out on Friday. There's one page that was released, and other materials were sent to the Raiders. And I think what the league was hoping is that Mark Davis would see the other materials and go to John Gruden and say, like, "What the heck, right. dude, dude." Yeah. We got to do something or this stuff's going to come out. Right. And they didn't. Right. And th- this is where John Gruden was ridiculously stupid. This is the last thing I'm going to say and I'll let you talk. I apologize. No, you're okay. This yeah, is I, where I, he was I, ridiculously I'm, stupid. Yeah, go ahead. The torpedo hit the boat and he was trying to fix the damage to the hull while he knew damn well there were other torpedoes in the water. Yeah, right. That was the time to abandon ship. He did not make this any better for himself, because I guarantee you this. If he had resigned on Friday night or Saturday... Yeah, this wouldn't have come out we wouldn't last have night. seen. We yeah. wouldn't have seen these right. other emails. Yes. They'd be hidden with all the others. Right. That's where he was beyond all stupidity that related to the behavior. The, the, the mind-blowingly dumb thing he did was... Talk and talk and talk and defend and defend and defend when he knew or should have known all this other stuff was out there. Yeah, he knew. And they I were going to leak it right. if he didn't do anything like walk away or if Mark Davis hadn't fired. Right. I mean, wait, and we know he knew. I mean, of course. I mean, right. I mean, he made statement or, or certainly was I, I think I read it on Pro Football Talk Sunday morning about how, yeah, there was there's other emails out there. And that there was going to be some emails about, you know, him saying negative things about Roger Goodell. So, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. It really is. I, 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 the first thing I just want to say about it is I just can't believe how stupid he is. I really can't. I don't, I don't under, I just, I'm shocked. Let alone, of course, the, the, some of the evil thoughts of it. But I just, you know, for a guy that I was around for such a long time in my career, I mean, he, listen, you say what you want about John Gruden, like him or not. The one thing I, I will say and, and always will say is he's intelligent, 100%. And to think that he was sending those emails to a guy who had a very high position within the Washington football team and is using an NFL email account 
That's where I'm just amazed. You know, listen, I, I worked for the New England Patriots for 18 or 19 months. I mean, we had, you know, email through the team. I mean, just every time I was on there, I was like, okay, just straightforward. And we're just going to talk about, you know, what I got to do for work. That's it. Da -da -da -da, type that up. Okay, straightforward, and we're just, this is what I got to do for work. And I, I just, I'm shocked by the stupidity uh, or the carelessness there, let alone, of course, some of the language there. And uh, yeah, he's, he's going to pay for it now, of course, and he's going to lose the number one thing he loved more than anything in life, which is coaching football and being the man. And now that's gone forever, like you said, and it's, it's, you can't defend him, nor can I feel sorry for him at this point. As much as I want to, it's hard to feel sorry for him. It's a little unfair that, like you said, their scope is just on him with these emails. Definitely. But that doesn't make up for some of the things he said, did here, and, and the way he's handled the situation. And uh, it's just incredible it's, it's come to this. I've known you for over four years now, and I can only imagine the temptation that you had when typing those emails to talk about how much weed you were going to smoke. Right, with. right. Or whatever. Right. You know me. Yeah, Four-letter no, words. I, whatever else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I, 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 it, th th this is a, a delicate needle to thread because Gruden is getting what he deserved, and it was stupidity on top of stupidity. And above all else, and I'm not saying this would have been the right thing to do, but for him and his family and to avoid the embarrassment, you're going to be at the end result anyway. How do you have a failure of imagination once they've sent the materials to the Raiders, once you know what's there and you know they're capable? And when I say they, I mean the NFL league office all the way up to the very top, yeah. frankly. You know they're capable of leaking this information. They have you, and you don't walk away because let me tell you what, it all happened so quickly last night. My first thought was John Gruden had better have gotten a commitment from someone that the leaks will stop. And you know what? Even if he didn't get the commitment, Chris, they will stop because there's no longer a reason to leak the emails about John Gruden. They got what they wanted. Right. He's out. Right. He's out. Somebody decided he should be out and they were going to keep leaking the emails until Davis fired him or he resigned. And now he's gone and there's no more reason to leak the emails. Any further leaks at this point would be gratuitous and just flat out mean from the standpoint of their agenda against John Gruden. My position is let's not leak any more of these. Let's release all of them. Yeah. You can't just say, well, we're going to slip one of these to the Wall Street Journal. We're going to slip five more to the New York Times to get what we want because we're the NFL and we always get what we want. And this is a way we can get what we want. I mean, folks, you know, and reporters always get nervous when we start talking about how we get information. But trust me, these are not the days of Woodward and Bernstein when it comes to covering the NFL. Yeah. No one is digging through dumpsters. No one is cultivating super secret sources. The NFL or one of the teams or somebody with information that they know that we would want, they sit down and they decide who we're going to give it to. We need to get this out. Who should we give it to? And when you give it to the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, it has instant credibility yeah. because of the names of the publications. They knew damn well what they were doing. And the folks at the Wall Street Journal and the folks at the New York Times were just sitting there and the phone rang. They weren't hacking anyone's computer. No, right. They weren't 
working this and this working up, it. Because yeah. right. if they were, we'd have Snyder's emails, not Gruden's. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that, like, like first thing I want to say, like, all right, NFLPA, whatever, NFL, uh, whoever released this. I mean, are they going to be in legal trouble about releasing these emails? I mean, aren't they supposed to be private? I guess that's the first thing I wanted to ask you, really. But As, who's gonna? But who's gonna? Who's gonna I do know, anything it, about it? Yeah, who's I gonna guess do anything it, about I guess it? him, Gruden, which was of course going to bring more light onto the situation and then hey. drag him through the dirt even more. Right. Chris, yeah. in hindsight, this is why, and, and I said this Sunday night, the league was not likely to suspend him, and it all depended on what the Raiders were going to do. And yeah. little did I know how accurate that was. The league was not going to pick a fight with him because if you pick a fight with Gruden, the first argument is, dude, you got 650,000 pages and you selectively leak five about me? Yeah. They right. don't want that fight because right. they don't want fr- – fr- tr- trust me, I – I, I hope people appreciate that what we're talking about right now is not going to make people at 345 Park Avenue happy, but it's the truth. And I'm always going to bring you the truth. And in this situation, the hard truth is they targeted Gruden with this trove of documents. They targeted Gruden with a small handful. And if they would have suspended Gruden, Gruden's response through his lawyers would have been, let's see all the documents. Let's see what else is in there. Let's see who else communicated with Bruce Allen, whether it's Dan Snyder or whether it's other coaches, other executives. There's a lot of people from other teams nervous today, Chris, because John Gruden isn't the only person that was sending emails to Bruce Allen over the past 10 years. No, definitely not. I got to think a lot of guys are, yeah, are, are, you know, a little nervous this morning, certainly. You know, wondering what they sent. What did I write something that was somewhat controversial? Was I trying to be funny? And it's, you know, improper. Uh, I mean, again, of course, that it's, it's not that uncommon in the NFL uh, with, with some of that type of language. I don't mean the racist language, but some of the other stuff. Yeah, it's not that uncommon. Sorry. How stupid are people yeah. in the digital age to not realize that anything you say can and will be preserved and can and will be used against you? How stupid How stupid. Listen, when I practiced law, you rarely got the smoking gun from testimony. The moments are very few and far between when you got Jack Nicholson on the witness stand and you browbeat him until he breaks. That doesn't happen. You win your cases with documents. You win your cases with emails. You win your cases with with text messages or people that keep diaries for whatever reason and put all this incriminating crap in their diaries. That's how I won my cases. So I learned a long time ago, you don't put anything in writing, anything. So it's it's, it's beyond ridiculous that someone as smart as John Gruden would have stepped on rake after rake after rake and thought, and I think it's the hubris. It's, it's, it, frankly, it's the emperor mentality. Sure. I can do what I want. No one's ever going to do anything about well, it. Well, I, 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 that's where I was going to go. I mean, I think, yes, there's a little bit of, you know, ego, narcissism, and, um, uh, you know, just selfishness that, that put him in this position, certainly. I mean, that, that, that I think is, is pretty apparent, let alone, you know, it, it's a guy who, uh, yes, the emotions get the best of him at times. Certainly, being around him, emotions can get the best of him to where he could say things that you know I don't necessarily know if he wanted to say them out loud, but he did because he'd be frustrated at football or frustrated at a coach or a player or something that was going on in the world, and that would come out in the meeting, and you were like, "Whoa, okay, he was bottled up there. He needed to get that out." That is part of the human being we're dealing with. You know, I could sit here and tell you that 
I didn't see anything racist from John Gruden my six years playing underneath him. I never saw that. But did I hear crazy? But Chris, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, but here's the thing, and and I'll go ahead. You you finish. I'm no, I, I'm he gonna. Told, he told me to shut up. No, go it's ahead. okay. I'll but hold my no, it, 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 it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean like he you know wasn't saying things like that privately or in emails or had his own private thoughts with his close friends. I I don't know that. I can't say that I witnessed that though in any way, shape, or form. No, but what I can say, and what I do think, like with John Gruden specifically here, like. You know, he doesn't win himself the benefit of the doubt. He definitely doesn't do that. You know, he's burned more bridges than probably every head coach in football. Um, and then there's no joke. I mean, hey, there was a reason he kissed the butt of every coach in the NFL when he was doing Monday Night Football with Mike Tirico. I mean, you know, he'd be on there with some guys. Oh, this guy's a great coach. I love him. He's a great coach. And I'd be like, man, I've heard him talk about that coach like 20 times. He thinks he sucks and he's stupid. But he realized if he wanted to get back in the NFL that he had to start mending some of these bridges. He's a pain in the butt that way. He is. And I think the fact and the way that he's treated people for so long certainly didn't give him the benefit of the doubt or do any favors for him in the league office, the NFL PA, whatever. Uh, he's brutal that way. And, you know, I think karma finally came, came back to get him in, in, in this department. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I remember when he first started doing Monday Night Football, I was so disappointed because he wasn't Chucky because he was keeping all of the bridges mended. He wasn't going to upset any players because he never knew what players he was going to end up exactly, coaching. Exactly, right. He didn't want to upset any owners because he never knew what owner he was potentially going to be working for. You're in an industry with 32 companies, and if you start eliminating them, you never know over the course of the next 20 years which one's going to have an opening, and you don't want him to say, I'm never hiring that guy. So that was one of the reasons why he was never as good as he could have been as a broadcaster. In my view, he was still really good, but he would have been even better if he would have gone full-blown Chucky. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. You know, how, how you never know how the redemption tour goes. Maybe he ends up in broadcasting again, and he will be full-blown Chucky Well, Mike, time, I, always but- go, I always go back to the point. You brought it up, I think, like last week or two weeks ago, but just organically somehow it came up. But, like, hey – one of the guys that was on the team that won a Super Bowl called them a scumbag on the radio. Simeon right? Rice. Simeon, Simeon Rice, Rice. Right? And right after he was fired. Right after he was fired. And, and nobody came to his defense. Not that everybody shared that same thought, but I think every, you know, anybody who was there would go, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, to some people, he's a scumbag. He, he Certainly, the way he treated people. So... You know, nobody defended him. Guys that won Super Bowls with him, nobody was like, whoa, Simeon Rice is way off base there. Yeah, how could he say that? No, n- none of that. So I think that's just a little, like, inkling into sometimes the way he treated people. You know, and again, it, it, it doesn't make me proud to sit here and talk about this, about my ex-coach. It really doesn't. Uh, but at the same time, the reality is the reality. And I just can't believe he said, typed some of these things and even had really some of these thoughts about these people anyways and it, it, it got his butt in trouble here, and, and now he's done forever. The late Steve Dumig, who was a radio host on WDAE in Tampa for years, he was a guy that I used to appear with weekly back in the, I don't know, 2007, 2008, 2009 time frame. And he would always kind of tell me to the side. And I don't, you know, I don't want to, I mean, it's not like he's in a position to refute me, but this is the truth. Say, look, Gruden, 
he says one thing, does another. The players don't trust him. The players know he'll act one way to your face, and then you walk out of the room, and he'll say the exact opposite. No, and it, you've told that story about hearing him talking through the wall about I, you Well, after I, he just kissed your butt face-to-face. Definitely. Face. I saw that. Listen, I was in meetings with him where, I mean, he would just absolutely crush somebody on our team. This guy's an idiot. He's not going to be here much longer, and we would break the meeting. And that guy'd be walking by, and he'd tell him he loved him. I love you, man. And yeah, guys saw that, and they were like, "Damn, okay, wait, we—he's saying that to him, and he just said that behind his back. What the hell is he saying about me?" And I think it's a little bit of the, you know, again, an inkling into, you know, the guy itself and why he's in this situation right now. And it it finally came back to to get him, you know, get him in in, in the long run, and. Uh, I'm just I'm still shocked by the whole situation. Very complex personality, a guy who and, you know, we said this last week and I'm reluctant to bring other people's names into this because I'm sure their reaction would be the same as Trevor Lawrence's last week when his name was brought into the Urban Meyer thing gratuitously. (laughs) Right. But, you know, last week we explained how John Harbaugh's competitive drive, the ultra competitive force that pushes him is the same force that caused him to try to preserve that goofy, stupid record of 100 yard rushing games that were strung together 43 times for Gruden the thing that made him great I assume I believe was just he was always pissed off about something he was always irritated about something always he always had himself remember like you said uh Wes Welker the Patriots knew he was only effective if he was pissed off. Right. John Gruden, I think his motivation was he would get pissed off about things. Definitely. And he was always pissed off about something. And I think that's what got him on the league's radar screen. He was always complaining about something. I remember when he came back into the league in 2018, I interviewed him twice. Very entertaining 25 minutes on this show we did an entertaining 15 to 20 minutes face to face in indy and that's the last time i ever spoke to him because you know he i didn't play the game i didn't emerge from that smitten by john gruden and willing to never question or scrutinize anything that he said or did so that was that but he was pissed then because all these rules, these, uh, all these rules, these, I can't do Gruden, but these yeah. rules where, you know, I can't talk to my players. I want to meet with Derek Carr. I want to get to know Derek Carr, and I'm not allowed to. These stupid-ass rules that they came up with in the lockout. And, and you know, that that's where we saw most of these emails where he decided to go scorched earth and start using all these inappropriate terms. He was mad at everybody because of the lockout. Yeah. But, but even if it wasn't that, it would have been something else. Oh, definitely. There's always something that was going to make him mad. Definitely. Mike, a hundred percent. He is, he would be classified as one of those guys that, you know, and I can relate to this. Maybe I'm like this a little bit, my own self, but he's not happy unless he's unhappy to a degree. Yeah. He was going to come into every meeting with something that was pissing him off. Sorry, Manchester. I mean, yeah, he was. They're just bottom line. It didn't matter either. We could be playing a team where it, he just, oh, this, well, I mean, he, he would make comments like, oh, they, you know, we're playing this coach. Well, he's probably getting fitted for suits. You ever see him? He's got suits. Uh, he's got a new suit on every time I see him doing a press conference. Oh, and he would, you know, he was going to use that to motivate himself to come up with a better game plan. So, you know, he could feel like he was going to kick this guy's butt this week. That is a little bit what made, you know, John Gruden great. Definitely. 
It made for some great colorful meetings at time where you'd laugh and just go, man, this guy's crazy. What is he saying? Um, but completely, right, crossed, bottom, hey, yeah, completely line. crossed he, the line here. I mean, completely like lo- lost his mind that way. I, and I, I just, that, that's where I come back to and just go, I, I just don't understand it. I don't. And Mike too. Yeah. I think you're right. When you just talk about like, I, I you know, the league, I would think had it out for him. Cause you're right. He's always attacking the league. Always. He was attacking the locker room. He was attacking the lightning last week in the Monday night game. I don't know. That's an indoor stadium. Why the hell? He just, there's always something there. And that's where I go back to like, it didn't do him any, you know, any benefits for the way he's treated people. The way he used to yell at referees in preseason game number one, you'd go, are we playing for Super Bowl here? Or is this the preseason right now? I mean, I know we had coaches and players that would be like, why is he acting like this with four minutes left in a preseason game where we're up by 25 points? And it's just uh, it's the emotions and, and the intensity that made him great. You know, it's like the gift and the curse. Now it's come back and, and, and got him the curse part. And, uh, yeah, I just I, can't, I still can't believe it. Openly defied the mask rules last year during the pandemic. Openly and repeatedly defied those rules. It was a collection of things that got – Someone in the league office, presumably the person at the very top of the league office, to decide that it was time. And I've got the ammunition to make it happen, and I'm going to make it happen. And I don't think it takes a high-level degree in corporate machinations to understand how this all came together. And just to catch everyone up, John Gruden resigned last night after the New York Times reported on additional emails beyond the email from Friday that contained the racist trope regarding NFLPA Executive Director DeMora Smith, the information that was leaked to the New York Times and published last night, just before the start of the Colts-Ravens Monday night game, includes homophobic, transphobic, misogynistic comments. Targets included Roger Goodell, Michael Sam, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Caitlyn Jenner, and on and on and on. And The Michael Sam thing was stunning to me because there were some strong statements in there, and we've got the story at PFT, and we've got the links to the New York Times article if you want to go read what he said, but what was the big story of the summer? First openly gay player on a team is playing for the Raiders. He he would have had, if he hadn't resigned, setting aside everything else, if he wouldn't have resigned, he had an immediate problem with Carl Nassib, given what he 100%. wrote about Michael Sam 100%. to Bruce Allen back in 2014. Yeah, 100%. It, like, Listen, it didn't take a brain surgeon for that. I'm sitting there watching the game last night with my 11-year-old son. It's the first thing he said. Well, oh, my gosh, Carl Nassib's going to hate him when he was watching him pregame and seeing like you know the th- some of the things that were said there or in the email. You know, And, and yeah, I mean, obviously. And let alone, he's going to have issues with the rest of the – he would have had issues with the rest of the team, too. You know, you're crazy to think that, like, with that stuff that came out on Friday, that guys on his own team weren't already looking out of the corner. They are probably already looking out of the corner of the eye because they've seen some crazy stuff, like we've mentioned back in Tampa. But, you know, those, those original comments that were released about DeMora Smith, DeMora Smith, I mean, yeah, those, those you, you'd be crazy to think that, like, some of the African-American players on the Raiders weren't looking out of the corner of their eye at John Gruden going, what, what does he really think of me? What is, what is he? So he definitely was going to have a problem within the organization or the players going forward. And that's why he had to do what he had to do because he would have had mutiny on his hand at some point within the locker room.
Randy Moss made the observation last night on the ESPN pregame show that based on his viewing of the Raiders' loss to the Bears on Sunday, he thought maybe some players were distracted. I hear you. By yeah. the situation. Right. And I, I remember the Riley Cooper situation from several years ago where he was caught on video shouting a slur at a Kenny Chesney concert. He was done in Philly until Mike Vick stood up, up for him. Yeah. And, 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 Put the fire out. Right. And I don't know. I, who was going to put the fire out for John Gruden? That's the problem. And, you know, with Carl Nassib, it, it's not just what was in the email about Michael Sam. It's the Carl Nassib then would have had to reconcile that with Chris based upon your experience. Carl Nassib would have been thinking, wait a minute, what's going on here? Gruden's told me, hey, I love you. You're my guy. I support you no matter what. Do you have any trouble with anybody? You come let me know. Anybody says anything to you that that you think is inappropriate, you let me know because I'm with you. And how do you reconcile this other than to say, yeah, it's walking around with, you know, multiple faces that he applies in whatever situation he's in and he'll he'll say one thing to your face and once you're out of the room, he'll say something else entirely. And that is not the way to uh, have uh, a long and successful career, although he did. You know, I, w- I had the thought earlier, he's the classic jerk high school bully who never gets his comeuppance, and he finally got it at age 58. He went all those years without anybody smacking him down. You know, we've all seen those movies or read those yeah, stories sure. where there's a bully who bully, finally yeah. finally gets his right. or hers, as the case may be, and learns the lesson and changes. And it's amazing. He never got his. He never had anyone... Put him in a position where he would grow and change and mature no. until this. No, no, definitely not. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I listen, I think that's the number one thing I got, like, with text last night was, like, you know, it's, you know, a lot of karma-related text you get. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is, you know, he's he's been, like you said, bullying, mistreating people for a long time. And I think a lot of people – always thought, you know, this was a, a long time coming in some shape or form either way. And I think that's what, yeah, I, I think that definitely hit home with a lot of some ex-players and people around the NFL that I was texting with last night. And added to that fact, like, you know, and to what you said with the growth and, you know, with nobody ever challenged them. I, yeah. Uh, listen, there, there, I, I always wondered that. Is, is there any, like, best friend in his life that would go – Dude, don't do that. Don't say that. You know, we used to have that conversation in Tampa every now and then because he would say things where you just go, you, you don't say that to another man. Like, I don't know. I had friends in high school and college where if you said certain things to a guy or somebody, they'd go like, dude, that's messed up. You don't say that. If you said that to me and I'm your friend, I'm, I'm going to kick your ass, right? Or, or we're not going to be friends anymore. And you're like, okay, you learn. Yeah, it never seemed like he had that. And then added to that, hey, uh, you know uh, – I, I heard many a times that it just he was still the same old Gruden from from people on that Raiders staff. That things hadn't really changed. He was the same guy in Tampa. They were hoping he'd be a little bit different, but he was the same th- same you know personality, intensity, a lot of you know crazy comments and everything like that. And ultimately, it it came back and bit him in the butt for good here. He modified his approach his approach because he knew, as did many others, that Derek Carr would not have been able to deal with the full-blown John Gruden experience that you got in Tampa. Uh, so I think that led some people to think maybe he had mellowed or softened. Yeah. No, he just knew that he wasn't going to get what he needed out of his quarterback. No, if he, he wasn't going to survive as like a head coach. Did. Right, right. And, and, you know, 
you make a great point because we all need someone in our life who serves as our conscience, who can who can help guide us the right way. And we serve as that way for others, too. It's a mutual type of a thing. But what happens all too often is you get two or three or four or more people together and this desire to kind of one-up each other and impress each other. And I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe this. I can't. And, and they, and it, and it, it's poisonous and it's toxic and it grows and it grows and it grows because each member of this group, this click, and it may have just been John Gruden and Bruce Allen. There's other names that were mentioned in the New York times report who were part of these email threads, but it could be that Gruden and Allen were just a horribly toxic combination and they brought out the worst in each other. We need to surround ourselves with people who bring out the best in us, not the worst. And Gruden and Allen together brought out the worst in each other. And uh, we haven't seen any of Allen's comments, but this is to take us back to the original point. This is why it's time for all the emails. Yeah, they have to. All the all the emails Bruce Allen was receiving and sending. There's got to be more there. It can't be that John Gruden is the only guy that was doing this and uh, if if so that's fine but i think that that they've they've opened the door to this they managed to bury all that evidence and they've now opened the door and i think that it would be irresponsible for anyone in the media to look the other way i think we all need to collectively rise up and say it is time to release all of the information and i've gotten a ton of emails from readers and viewers who have arrived at that same point. And you know what? If the audience wants it, that's what gets the media to chase it and pursue it. And I think we all need to be demanding and pursuing and expecting that all of those emails will be released. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, that only seems right or fair at this point, certainly. You know, again, we're not trying to defend John Gruden, but I I will say it's just messed up that it's only his emails, period. That's messed up. I don't care what anybody says. I understand everything he said and did was wrong, 100%. I I hope we've made that clear. I didn't try to defend him in any way, shape, or form in the last, you know, 20 minutes. No, but it's equally as messed up that he's been, you know, the, the marked man here in this. And that he's the only guy in the NFL or with all these 650,000 pages that's going to be singled out. I understand he's probably pissed a lot of people off. Like we said, burned a lot of bridges, probably used distasteful language with a lot of people. And yeah, that didn't do him any favors. Nobody's going to stick up for you when you're that guy. Nobody. Nobody's going to go like, oh, let's hide that email because John's so great to everybody. I mean, that's that's treating people matters. It does at some point. And, and, and or the way you treat people matters. And, of course, that's going to come back to get him. But that does not make up for the, the, this, this other aspect of wrongness as well, in my opinion. It does not. I mean, it seems like a hit job, and that is completely messed up by the NFL, the NFLPA, whoever else, where I want to just go like, yeah, I get it. Okay, maybe it was released to help Demora Smith. I understand that, but like for you to just release his emails, you're equally as jerky as John Gruden then. I mean, you are. I don't know what else to say. You're going to single him out and not be fair to everybody else, and um, that, that's where I'm, I'm with you, Mike, and, and hopefully the public will continue to bang on the table here to, to get the rest of this stuff and information out. And let me get back to July, early July, 
when the Washington football team investigation was completed, the penalties and the punishments were announced, and it was clear that the evidence was going to be buried as deeply as the NFL could until the NFL needed to use some of it, as it turned out. But this wasn't about protecting Daniel Snyder, and this is why this next phase is going to be so damn compelling because the motivation to conceal all of this was to protect all the other owners. Right. Not Dan Snyder. Right. Because the other owners looked at this and said, I might have some similar things here. Are are we sure we want to be in the business of, uh, of investigating what goes on? in these organizations. And I, I think it, I think it, to be fair, I think a lot of the motivation was we don't want to create an atmosphere where people can make allegations that we fundamentally and strongly disagree with, but now we're all of a sudden on the defensive. I think that was part of it. We don't want to create a feeding frenzy where people are going to start accusing us of, this, uh, accusing us of things we didn't do. Yeah. But at some level, there's others out there. And I remember when the Jerry Richardson stuff went down four years ago. And we found out about four settlements with non-disclosure agreements that weren't honored and information came out. There were plenty of other owners who were thinking, well, boy, boy, wait a minute, that, these, these confidential settlement agreements that we entered into, you mean these can blow up on us and take us out? So um, I, that's what started all of it. And I think that collective power and wealth and influence is what, Kept the Dan Snyder stuff secret initially. The question is, is that collective will of the NFL to protect everyone who owns a team, anyone and everyone, not anyone specifically, but just in theory, anyone out there who could be in a similar situation, will that continue to protect Dan Snyder? It could be that that next domino, and it's a big-ass domino, that next domino may have to fall, and it could claim Dan Snyder. He could end up being the next one to go if the league figures out, you know what, we can't continue. It's, it is no longer fair and appropriate for us to continue to hide this information after we selectively used some of it to bring down John Gruden. Yeah, no, I, I don't see how they could do that. I mean, yeah, I think they're going to have big issues on their hands uh, if we go down that road where they just try to like swipe this under the rug and now go, all right, let's move on with life. Let's move on with the NFL. No way. No way. And, you know, of course, like, hey, there was the, you know, I guess shirtless, you know, topless women in some of the emails, you know, that, you know, of course, not the greatest look for John Gruden and company. You know, and of course, we've heard some of and those allegations directly, and dovetails Dan directly, and some of that stuff. Right. Exactly. exactly. There's overlap so, there. Right. This isn't just John Allen, John Gruden and Bruce Allen having their little private communication. This is stuff that was pertinent to the heart of the investigation yeah. that made its way into these Gruden emails, which makes it even more appropriate. A hundred percent. To release everything. And I'm not saying some. I'm not saying be selective. Being selective is what created this mess. Let's be comprehensive. Let's get it all out there. And let's let people in the media. Not that I look forward to reading 650,000 emails because I do not. But especially during football season, for crying out loud, we got enough to do, but we got to be honest to the story. And there's a story out there that is being hidden from us. And the fact that they used part of the hidden story to take down John Gruden opens the door and compels them, in my opinion, to put the whole story out there. Let's spin this forward for the Raiders. 
Rich Bisaccia will be the interim head coach. He was the assistant head coach and special teams coordinator. That 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 results in minimal disruption to the offense and the defense. It right. feels weird to pivot to football, but we, we got to put a, a bow on yeah, this before yeah. we move on. Right. You you let the offensive coordinator do his thing. Gus Bradley, defensive coordinator, does his thing. Basaccia steps in and pulls it all together. He's been around forever. Yes. And uh, it makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It makes sense. You're right. I mean, Greg Olson, right? He's the offensive coordinator. He'll be able to continue to do that. Now, yeah, of course, John Gruden was really the offensive coordinator. He was. So that's that is going to change the team a little bit. Hey, Gruden, he is creative and smart. You know, there's a reason their offense has been pretty damn good for the most part this year. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It's it's not going to really upset the chain of command. And Rich Bisaccia, Mike, I think you heard me before, you know, I, I he's one of the better coaches I was ever around in my NFL career. I I've, I, I think even last year during some of the coaching hire and some of that conversation, I was like, I, I always thought Rich Bisaccia should have the opportunity to be a head coach. I really think he gets the big picture of the game. He's got a great way of communicating. He's got a little bit of that, you know, John Harbaugh. I see the game in totality, and because I was on special teams, I know how to talk to the offensive guys, the defensive guys, and bring it all together, and that's where I'm excited for him to get the opportunity, but it, I think it's the, the smartest move by the Raiders to make him the head coach, and like you said, Gus Bradley could do defense, Ole can do offense, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. All right, let's take a break. When we return, we will get to the outcome of Monday night's game for the ages. I assume there aren't many Colts fans that are anxiously awaiting the discussion, but Ravens fans everywhere feeling good about what happened. We'll break down that when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. To be honest, no, it wasn't a doubt in my mind. Um, our team, we, you know, we we hit that peak that we needed, you know, at the right time, second half. And, you know, we just knew it's one play at a time. You know, that's all we kept saying in the huddle, like one play at a time. You know, don't get too hype over. You know, we get 20 yards on this play. You know, just take our time, and that's what we did. Get back, and you're not giving up. I mean, you know, we've got first of all, we got we've got Lamar Jackson, all right, and then next of all, we got a bunch of guys just like Lamar Jackson, with heart and spirit and soul and 
uh, persistence and all the other things. Faith, you know, um, faith, you know, faith and favor, man, they're tied together. Uh, it's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. It was John Harbaugh before that, Lamar Jackson after last night's comeback for the ages, 31 to 25 victory. It was 22 to 3 in the second half. And it just felt like the Colts were building a lead, Chris, that was insurmountable. I, I, you know, you, you, you never slam the door when a good team falls behind a team that, that frankly, we didn't view as all that good. You, you never slam the door. 22 to 3, I was pretty much ready to slam the door. That's what made it all the more impressive that the Ravens found a way to, to dig themselves out of it. A hundred percent. I mean, you, does this end it forever now? Does it end forever now? Like, the guy is a damn good quarterback. He can win with his right arm. 11 points down against the Chiefs on Sunday night football. Fourth quarter comeback. Didn't really get the credit then, like, to the, to the extent he should have. But then last night, I mean, again, I know the Colts, this is not like top five defense in football, but it's still a pretty damn good unit. And the way he played in the second half with, I mean, I don't even know what he ended up with, three over 300 yards in the second half, somewhere along there, those lines. I mean, amazing. Not only the decision-making, some of the pinpoint passes he made, you know, really not one dicey, like, dicey decision in the second half. There wasn't one play where you're like, well, well, he got lucky there. The Colts should have ended the game. They dropped an interception. No, it was surgical, let alone times where there was nothing there. And he bought time with his legs just moving around in the pocket and hopping and making sidearm throws. I mean, damn, he's good. I mean, damn, he is good. And I just hope everybody can, like, see that. And, and maybe that finally does it for everybody last night, that performance. You know, because that was. That was pretty damn amazing. Oh, I don't know if the Ravens can win, if they have to rely on Lamar Jackson and his right arm. Hey, the run game wasn't working. 100-yard streak is done in Baltimore. Didn't matter. Oh, no, lots of people shed tears. It was such an important streak. But, man, was he amazing. He really was. And it just, you know, it's a little bit of like that Baltimore attitude. It's just they never stop fighting. They're never dead. Uh, and that is instilled by them by their, their head coach and goes down to the quarterback and the rest of the team. And it's uh, it's amazing. It really was. It was fun to watch. Amazing second half to that football game. By the way, they came within 14 yards. 14 yards. Breaking the record that they will forever share with the Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s, unless and until someone else can string together 43 straight games of 100 more rushing yards. Can we put that graphic back up? Something occurred to me while I was looking at the second half statistics for Woo. Lamar Jackson. Woo! The second half alone is one hell of a game. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And and you, you take that, if you could ever duplicate that, that's 670 passing yards, which would be a record, and eight touchdowns, which would be a record by one. Plenty of guys have seven. No one has eight. That is just phenomenal. And what that does for the Ravens going forward, it breaks through finally that mindset. Exactly. That if you take away the run, you right. beat the Ravens. Right. Oh, maybe you don't. And now maybe, you know, maybe what it's done for the Ravens is it kind of wakes up this passing game. Yeah, let's do more. You've given, you've given Hollywood more. Brown right. a taste of having 10 targets his way. Mark Andrews getting it done. Maybe we, maybe we, we pass and pass and pass. You know, I, what the Ravens, I think, have, have been guilty of is – they want to have a more expansive offense, but then when it gets tight 
and close and the yards and the points are necessary, they revert back to Lamar Jackson running the ball because yeah. they know they do that so well. Right. But when you're down 19, you can't do that. No. The the urgency of being down 19 forced them to go one-dimensional the other way, something they never do, and they learned along the way, hey, we can do this. I think we're going to look back on the second half of that game as we get forward into the season and think this is when the Ravens finally realize they can fly. I, I don't disagree with you there. I, I think there was like – a stepping stone. Like I still think the Chiefs game probably gave them a little bit of the confidence, the fact that they could do that last night. And now it's like we can do anything. Woo! It's official. I mean, yeah, because the Chiefs game, they can look at it and go, oh, well, yeah, they had the fumble and Mahomes threw that d- damn interception. No, the, the Colts, there was no dumb turnover at the end. There was nothing of that nature. It was literally just Lamar Jackson and the offense outplaying the Colts defense, period. He wears you down physically because he is so hard to contain. Your whole game is a defensive line. Oh, let me stay in this rush lane. Let me stay in this rush lane. Oh, gosh, he still got out. Let me chase him down, and you're doing that. And then mentally, you start to fatigue after that. And that's where, you know, and he doesn't seem to. He just, he's, a, he's barely ever out of breath. I'm amazed by his conditioning. And then, of course, to be able to run like that, most people, when they're exhausted, start to make mental mistakes in football. That's why you do conditioning. That's why coaches make you run after practice or in the middle of practice at, at some points. Because let's now let's fight through this second half of practice while we're tired and still stay mentally sharp. And I think that's what's amazing to me too is just the fact that, yeah, he was doing all that, had some mistakes, the fumble, but man, he just continued to make every right decision of when to run, where to throw the football, the proper, you know, the proper pace and trajectory on every football. Uh, unreal performance. Unreal. I mean, it was amazing to watch. It really was. He has become the guy that when you saw him play at Louisville, I remember thinking, if this guy can do this at the NFL, he's going to be unstoppable. And look, he was the MVP in 2019. It's not like he had his coming out party last night. But he did in the sense of as a passer. You know, we can finally put to bed the crap that we heard in yeah. 2018 when he was entering Should be the draft. a receiver. And, yeah. Um, and let me say this, too. Yeah, go ahead. I don't care why or how or what it is that's keeping the Ravens from paying Lamar Jackson. I don't care if him not having an agent is some sort of impediment. Steve Bashotti, get this guy in the room today and give him his contract, please. And, and my guess is, I remember when the Josh Allen contract was negotiated. My first thought was, well, you know what? When I see the details of this, I'll know whether or not I think the Ravens should say, hey, why don't we do the Josh Allen contract for Lamar Jackson? Right. Or whether Lamar Jackson should say, hey, you know what? I want the Josh Allen contract. And my assessment was, Jackson should say to the Ravens, just give me the, Lamar, uh, the, the Josh Allen contract and we'll be good. My guess is he tried that and they said, nah, you're a different situation. Look. If, if Lamar has asked for the Josh Allen contract, Steve, give it to him today. The bye week's two games away. That's 120 more minutes of football. He's got to stay healthy to finally get what he deserves. Give him the Josh Allen contract today. He has more than earned it. 
It's the right thing to do. It's the fair thing to do. We spent 47 minutes talking about the right thing to do in Washington. The right thing to do in Baltimore is give this guy the Josh Allen contract right now, Chris. Uh, agreed. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. He's the life and soul of the football team. I mean, John Harbaugh can't even hide it. I mean, after the game, I mean, did you see him? I mean, it looked like he was going to hug him, kiss him. You know, I mean, he, he wanted to like, I, it looked like he was just going like, that was an, unbe- I mean, he looked like he was just saying everything positive in the world. It's like, that's an unbelievable performance. Only you could do that. You're a special player. I'm sure some of that, uh, like what we heard John Harbaugh was saying in the press conference. Yes. I mean, he is. And let alone, he's the guy on the field, you know, like a Mahomes or Josh Allen or Rogers. When teams get done playing them, they go, whoa, that might be the best player I've ever played about. Or, whoa, he's just on a different level than the rest of us. You know, th- that's the feeling he gives you. And uh, to me, I- I'm with you, Mike. I really am. Um, just, just an amazing – I mean, 37 of 43. 37 of 43 for the football game. You know, missed a touchdown, okay, in the second quarter, right? I think that was the second quarter. Maybe it was – yeah, the second quarter – but other than that, like, was almost flawless, really was. And um, I just, I, I couldn't get over it. You know, again, even like, even uh, blind people can see some of this stuff. And, and what I mean by that, like, m- my wife, she's a casual football watcher. She's watching last night just going, wow, whoa, wa- wow. Like, that's, she's watching Lamar Jackson saying that. I don't know how you don't see that. And, I mean, again, here, look at this. Buy in time. Never one dicey throw or dicey decision into a tight window. I mean, it really was. It was it was surgical that way. And, of course, let alone some, like, power throws down the field that made a big difference here. But the quick release into some of these, you know, two-point conversions and short touchdown passes late in the fourth quarter, I mean, it's just pinpoint accuracy, pinpoint decision-making, everything. So, yeah, let's put that to bed. He's damn good. He can beat you with his right arm. They're growing, and that's part of their offense. And, uh, yeah, paying the man the money, like you said. And the other thing he's proving that he can do is come from behind. In the past, that was the narrative. If you get up on the Ravens, Lamar Jackson can't lead a comeback. Before this season, the biggest comeback for the Ravens under Lamar Jackson was 10 points. He was down 11 against Kansas City, down 19 last night. And also, the Lions game was over. Until Lamar Jackson threw them into field goal range. Fourth and 18, right? Yeah. For, I mean, look, Justin Tucker was understandably the hero kicking the 66-yard field goal, but without Lamar Jackson saving the bacon just before that, it doesn't happen. So three of their four wins have been the direct result of Lamar Jackson heroics in right. crunch time. They are the new cardiac kids. It is amazing. And Miles Simmons, who... Uh, is a Cleveland native and a Browns fan does not appreciate me calling the Ravens the cardiac kids because he believes that is a nickname that is the property of the Browns, which means I will call the Ravens the cardiac kids as Good. much as I can. Eat it, Miles. I know Eat he it. doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah, but but that's what they're doing. Right, and it's Lamar Jackson who's the heart and soul of it. So uh, th- 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 this uh, this Ravens team is fun to watch. I feel bad for the Colts. I feel bad for Colts fans, but. I- you know, it 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 uh, you you got you gotta you gotta respect yes. what we saw last night from Lamar Jackson. A hundred percent. I'm like I'm not even sure how good the Ravens are. I'm really not. I mean, their defense with all the injuries, it's not special. 
This is not like the Ray Lewis Ravens. See, that's the other thing I think that like d- d- gives a little like discredit to Lamar Jackson. I think people think like, well, they're three and one. Oh, that Ravens defense is still one of the best in football. No, it's not. It's not one of the best in football. It's not it. And let me just make sure I got this right. Oh, it's twenty fourth in football. Right, and it's not like they have a crap offense that's been putting them in tough positions, and it's like the dam just breaks eventually, like some other defenses we could talk about. No. The offense is good. The defense is not that good this year because they've got had some of these injuries and had to de- had to play a different style. Wink Martindale's just trying to make it happen right now. You know, he's just trying to make them respectable that way. So this is not like you know a defensive. We're all running the football team. You said it right. It's three out of the four wins are because of him and his right arm. Period. Now. What the hell were the Colts doing on some of these defensive calls is what I want to talk about, too. Like, what the hell were they doing on some of these defensive calls? First off, like, my first thought is, like, okay, I want to say, you know, you, you leave a, a guy who's a practice squad player on an island versus Hollywood Brown for the deep touchdown pass down the right sideline. I want to go, what are you doing? He just got in the game for, like, the first time ever in his life, and you're going to leave him one-on-one with one of the faster receivers in football? And then... You know, there's prevent defense or playing a conservative, and then there's, like, like what? Like, what are you doing, Colts? You're going to let him – I mean, there was a, a handful of completions where he throws the check down to the running back out of the backfield, and there's nobody in the screen. Nobody. And then he gets to throw a five-yard pass, and the running back or whoever with the short completion was too – gets to run another 10 or 12 yards before you even see a Colt get there. Like, to me, that was that was also ridiculous. As awesome as Lamar was, and it showed great patience, and he made a lot of great throws. I'm not trying to take any. I also want to go, at some point, Colts, you're dying slowly. So, like, at some point, as the knife is being inched into your soul here, you have to, like, try to pull it out and change something. You can't just go, well... It won't go all the way in and kill me. I'll just keep letting it go little by little. I mean, it just that made no sense to me either. That, that so uh, that was shocking. It's a heartbreaking loss for the Colts, who had a chance first to kind of all, turn around all, their team. But go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, as Pete says, we don't follow your metaphor. And second of all, it's horrifying. <laughs> well, so, <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were dying um, a slow death, and my and you know me. Yes, I, my metaphor is not real, and nor does it make sense. They're dying a slow death, but they weren't going to do anything to change it. They were just going to be like, okay, we'll die slow, and hopefully you'll just drop the knife before you push it all in. You know what I'm saying. Shut up, Pete. <laughs> they had a key decision to make on third and eight with 519 to play. They ran the ball setting up a field goal that was blocked by Calais Campbell. Let's hear from Frank Reich on his decision to run and play it safe and set up the field goal that was blocked over trying to get the first down. Yeah, the third down, the third down, the third down was a, you know, I wish I had that call back. You know, I got that call. That was a conservative call. Um, you know, they were burning their timeouts. Uh, we, we were trying to do that. We were running the ball well. Um, we were running the ball well, so I felt good about that. They had one timeout left, and you know whatever is third and eight, and seven, whatever, and I and I called a run, and uh, with the thinking of you know we were down in there pretty tight. Let's make them either burn the timeout because then if if we make it a two score game and they go down and kick, we can just burn it at the end of the game. You know we can sit on it. So uh, in hindsight, because it didn't work, do I wish I. 
would have called a pass probably, but the reason I didn't was I knew they were pressuring. I didn't want to get sacked. I didn't want anything crazy to happen. I thought I felt good about the opportunity to gain some yards, right? Gain some yards and get a kick. And um, but in hindsight, it wasn't the right call. Yeah, and look, I, I appreciate the candor from Frank Reich. A lot of times, you'll see coaches try to talk their way out yeah, of a situation like that, but. He owned it, and and hey, you, you got Calais Campbell, who's in a position to make that block, and also the kicker Rodrigo Blankenship had some sort of a hip issue, which made this anything but a gimme. And we first became aware of the issue because there was a 42-yard field goal in the first half that the punter was going to kick, and then there was an offside penalty that made it five yards closer. And then Blankenship came out, like, wait a minute, when the the, the range for Blankenship is 40 tonight? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Right. So. And we see that. We see teams get just – they get paralyzed by that moment. Do you, do, you, do you keep reaching for the brass ring or do you get more careful when, when – you, and it, it's, it's falling a, it's apart before balance. your very eyes. Yeah. And you're in the middle of it. Shereen and I were talking last night from the perspective of officiating calls, how different it is to be on the sideline versus being in the booth and watching at home. But when you're in the middle of it and it's happening and it's slipping away and you feel like all you have to do is hang on, the rope is slipping out of your hands. And instead of pulling the rope back, you feel like if I could just hold on, maybe that's a better metaphor than a knife slowly, you know, descending into your heart, (laughs) but you just pull the rope back. You, th- you feel like you've already won the tug of war. And it was like, I shouldn't have to pull the rope one more time. Well, sometimes you do. And instead of trying to hold on, just get back to what was working earlier. Go back to being aggressive. It's easier said than done, obviously. And in hindsight, it's clearly what the Colts should have done. Uh, because if they get a score there, it's over. I don't think the Ravens, even everything they were doing last night, I think if you're up 11 or, or 14 or more going into that. Yeah, it's uh, over. That's that final drive, it's done. I agree. That's right. I, you know, I can't sit here and be Monday morning quarterback with Frank Reich in that decision. I can't. Yeah, in hindsight, sure. I mean, like he said it. He said it. He said it real. He's not trying to BS anybody, you know. But his thoughts real too. He's got a quarterback who is famous for taking stupid sacks. Famous. I mean, that's what he's famous for. Like, what the hell are you holding the ball for so long? So he's not going to let him do that. He wasn't going to let him knock them out of field goal position. He's thinking, we go up by 11 with four minutes and 30 seconds left. We're going to win the game. We're going to win the game. But, of course, that changed. And they caught, you know, you you, you could see. Calais Campbell caught right guard Mike uh, Golinski, 64, kind of leaning, not really blocking, kind of just like, ah, I'm just going to lean here. It's the field goal. And Calais somehow had a feel for, for it. You know, and of course made the move and and did and and, and made the block. That was a huge moment in the football game, as we know. But yeah, that's going to make the Colts sick. That really is. That had a chance to get them back in. You know, the thick of things. The AFC South, the Titans. Yeah, of course they're leading, but it's not been impressive. You're not sitting here going, "Whoa, the Titans are going to run away with things." You know, you're sitting here going, "Man, the Colts have shown signs of becoming a better team here." And if they can win, you know, last night, you're going, they're going to make things interesting with the Tennessee Titans. And they still might. I'm not saying they won't. I think there's still a lot of positives for them to take away from the game. But that's a heartbreaker right there. An absolute heartbreaker.
Huge swing, huge swing, one and four versus two and three, especially given the adversity that they've dealt with this season. And Carson Wentz, finally off the injury report, he had the ankles, both ankles that were injured against the Rams several weeks back. And he had a good night, best night yet for the Colts, 402. I think it was a career high for him, too, in passing yards, 402, two touchdowns. Was it not a career high or it was? It was a career high. Thank you, Pete. And he added uh, only five rushing yards, which I guess is good. Yes. Quit trying to do too much. Stay in the pocket. Throw the ball. Learn how to avoid contact. Learn how to stay healthy. So, look, you're, you're in a division that is not the toughest in the NFL. You've got another game against the Titans. Maybe And, look, the Titans got the Bills next Monday night. I, I, it's not over for the Colts. No, it's not. And if they keep playing like they did last night, they're going to win their share of games, and they're going to maybe make a – a, a race out of the AFC South. I, 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 they have, they certainly have a chance to, uh, and I would not be shocked if they did. You, you know, you, yeah, like, you know, we talked about it. defense is solid, right? You know, the one thing I don't like about the defense is they're a little bit of one of those defenses. Like, this is what we do. This is what we do. We're just going to do it. And I want to go, yeah, well, the, the other team knows this is what you're going to do and do it too. And that's why they threw for 330 yards for you in the third quarter. Like you, there's got to be a little more game plan specific. That is one thing that bothers me about the Colts' defense. But, hey, how could you not be excited about their offense? Yeah, he looked good. It's the best he's looked as a Colt. It's the best they've, you know, the best running game they've had. You see Jonathan Taylor, if you give him some daylight, he can outrun just about anybody in football when it comes to that. I mean, Anthony Everett, you know, the guy he outran on the, on the long uh, touchdown, the screenplay, I mean, that's, that's one of the fa- – I bet you that's arguably the fastest guy in the Ravens. So he couldn't catch him. You know, and then we saw Paris Campbell and some other weapons on offense. So you're right. It's not over yet. And when you look at their schedule, we go Texans. Okay, then they got to go 49ers. They got a big game against the Titans. But then they got the Jets and the Jaguars after that. They can salvage something. And, of course, they got the Texans and the Jaguars two more times after that as well, where they're better teams than them. We'll see if they win it. Uh, But, yeah, they're not out of it by any stretch of the imagination. Meanwhile, we now have 19 games in the first five weeks that were decided in the final minute of regulation or overtime. We already had a record of 18 going into last night. The football gods gave us one more, and the games really have been exciting this year in primetime. And Chris, I'll say something I've mentioned a few times. The physicality, how emotionally draining it is. Just as a fan, I can't imagine from a player's perspective getting yourself ready to go and do it again and again and again and again 17 times over. we got to take a break. When we return, we'll take a look at what's going on in Jacksonville as they react to being only the second team in NFL history to lose 20 straight games. More PFT Live right after this. Quarterback sneak, he's not quite comfortable with it yet. We've been practicing that. Um, I know that might sound silly, but when you've never done it, um, it's something that uh, we need to continue to make that so you can make that call in that critical situation. No, I feel comfortable. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously I haven't really ran it before in in a game, but no, I feel comfortable. It's something we've worked. How desperate is this team at this point? Uh, Pretty desperate. Uh, Desperate for win, desperate uh, the way they go to work each day, each week. Desperate for a win. And you can't get desperate, you know. You gotta, you gotta just keep going to work, and uh, we're gonna win some games. We're gonna, we're gonna turn it around. Yeah, look, uh, 
<laughs> not exactly consistent between Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence on whether and to what extent he's comfortable diving uh, on fourth and short into the end zone. But the bottom line is he got James Robinson, and that was another issue that came up in the aftermath of Sunday's loss to the Titans. It's fourth and short at the goal line, and James Robinson isn't even on the field. And I had thought, and others around the league had thought, in the aftermath of the Thursday night game against the Bengals, that Urban Meyer had finally realized James Robinson is the guy. He's the guy. He's the best player on the team, and they were going to start using him more. And Urban said yesterday, I don't micromanage who's in the game, that it was Hyde instead of James Robinson. Chris, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I don't understand how it works. I don't know. How much does a coach defer personnel in a key moment like that to someone other than himself? Well, uh, to me, that's what the head coach is there for, is that, that type of like, okay, you're not the offensive play caller. You're not the defensive coordinator, but you need to give some big picture thoughts here about what should be done and, you know, who should have the ball in key moments or, you know, it, it shouldn't even come down to that conversation during the game. It should have already been, you know, handled during the week of practice and leading up to that. Now, I, I guess they're thinking is like, you know, Carlos Hyde is a little bit bigger and you know, been around the NFL more, I don't really know what the thought process is. But the thought process is what you said, that the reality is what you said, is that James Robinson is arguably the best player on their offense, you know, and he's like an extremely talented runner and not a small back by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he's still 220 and has power. So, yeah, that makes no sense. Now, I mean, listen, we could show that play again. I don't think it really gives a damn who's in there. I don't, we could bring Emmett Smith back in his prime or whatever. They didn't block the play worth a damn. So that's where it starts. I mean, again, you see there, I mean, it's over. I mean, 93 goes through, and it's night-night, and then, of course, the pursuit gets there. But, you know, when you're Urban Meyer and you have a lot of issues on your plate right now about managing the football game and – of course, just being a head coach in the NFL, these are the questions you're going to ask when your team fails yet again in a big moment. And, uh, yeah, that's a little bit of a head-scratcher, no doubt about it. But he has figured it out. He's come up with a recipe, a formula. It reminds me of the ill-fated Randy ratio from days gone by when Mike Tyson used to keep a pencil in his ear to look smart. It didn't work. Came up with this notion that if we get the ball to Randy 40% of the time, we're going to win every game. Here's <laughs> Urban Meyer with the high-level analytics concept that he has devised based on five NFL games. You know, I, I like our identity right now. If you say, what's the identity of the Jacksonville Jaguar offense? It's a physical offense that runs the ball and balance. You know, our goal is always 250, 250. I want to say we were 250, 200. You know, that's what we want to be. I mean, I guess you could say our goal is to score 100 points also. At least 100 points, I think, have been scored at some point in the NFL. Nobody's ever gone 250-250, especially not um, as as a record. There have only been 33 since the merger instances of an offense having 250 rushing yards and 250 passing yards. It, it is a very high bar. It sounds a little goofy, to try to aspire to do that on a regular basis. It's not going to happen on a regular basis. And anytime you strive going into a game to say, 
this is what we want to do. We want to statistically be able to say we had 250 rushing yards, 250 passing yards. Well, you know, who, who was it that explained it this way? Oh, God, I, I'll remember it eventually. Um, oh, it was Kevin Stefanski in the aftermath of the Browns game against the Chargers. You have to coach the game that unfolds in front of you. Yeah, that's right. You don't know what's going to happen. Right. You don't know what kind of day it's going to be until you see what the opponent is doing. Exactly. So if they're doing everything they can to take away the run and make it easier for you to pass, it may be a 510 game, or it's going to be 300 rushing yards and 50 passing yards. You don't know until it's time to show up, and, and, and that's the nature of the NFL. It's not a crap team every week that you can just overpower when you have supremely talented players. You have to coach the game that unfolds based upon the opponent's strategy that is unfolding as yours is trying to do the same. Yeah, 100%. You know, yeah, you got to evaluate it for what it is. You know, oh, they're playing us this way. Or, man, we're, we're just not playing our best today. We're not coming off the ball and blowing people back in the run game. We might have to throw the ball a little bit more. Certainly. I mean, listen, I get what he's trying to say. They want balance within their offensive football team. They're pretty close to that. They are. You know, again, there's a lot of positives, I think, to come out of Jacksonville. It's just, you know, again, where, like, in the NFL, you almost got to be perfect to win a football game. You do. That's where it's just different than college football, too. You know, again, at Ohio State, his team could mess up seven, eight plays a game, and they'd still win by 20. And that just doesn't happen. And right now, whether it's just like a a, 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 a stalling point within the game where the offense flutters – or just a mistake here and there, that they haven't brought it all together. But there is positives. I mean, Trevor Lawrence continues to get better and better every week. He looked really good against the Bengals on Thursday night. You know, he looked good the other day, too. He's, he's, his decision-making, you can see he's more confident in where he's throwing the football, his knowledge of defenses. We'll see where it goes. But, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of crap they're dealing with there in Jacksonville right now. Uh, I give them a lot of credit for coming out and playing hard last week, but they messed up some opportunities to, you know, maybe win that game and come back or at least make it really interesting uh, late in the fourth quarter. They get a chance to win this weekend in London against the Dolphins, who are under siege and having a hard time getting victories. And uh, six losses away are the Jaguars from matching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of 1976-1977 with the longest losing streak of all time. So they need to get it together. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, Chris took a closer look at the Sunday night game between the Bills and the Chiefs and where things stand with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. We'll take a look at that when PFT Live continues right after this. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.